you would please open your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is God's Word. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. James is writing to believers. He makes that clear. He restates that again at the start of this chapter. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Did you know that even after you become a Christian, you may do some things that aren't the way you're supposed to behave? Did you know that? Even Christians mess up. Now, I know you probably haven't since you've gotten saved. You've just been cruising in holiness all the time. I'm being sarcastic, obviously, because I know you and you know me. And all of us mess up sometimes. But that does not mean that we just need to accept the fact that we all, well, we all mess up, so, you know, I don't have to really change because I'm forgiven by God's grace, and therefore, I can just keep on doing this stuff that I know I shouldn't be doing, but no, no, no. Here, believers need to be told, do not show favoritism, not simply so that they will know that what they've been doing when they show favoritism is wrong, but so that they'll stop doing that. The idea is, even though we are not instantly perfected in all of our conduct after we're born again, 
We need to be growing in grace and becoming more like Jesus. We need to be changing. We don't just continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. So, writing to Christians, writing as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, God says through James, don't show favoritism. Uh, what, what do you mean, favoritism? What, how, how would we be showing favoritism? He said, well, let's take, for example, when you're gathered together to worship the Lord and somebody comes in looking really nice, dressed to the nines, okay? They've got jewelry. They've got expensive clothing. Can you, can you, uh, can you still tell what's expensive? I'm having a little more trouble with it as an old man. I didn't realize until, oh, I guess now it's been 10 years ago, that the jeans that have the rips in them are more expensive. Okay? I didn't know that people paid a lot to have somebody else pre-destroy their clothing. Okay? I, 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 loved, I loved the picture that was on Facebook a few years back that showed a couple of gals walking along with their Starbucks mugs wearing these pants that had just been shredded. And it said, this is how you celebrate after you escaped a mountain lion. <laughs> but, but I mean, most of us still have little clues that people give if they're wearing something really expensive, okay? And, and if you see that and, and the person's look conveys to you, oh, this person has money. I bet they drove here in a really nice car or back in this day, chariot. If you see that and your response is to want to, you know, cater to them, oh, we're so glad you're here, here. Why don't you come sit here, etc. But then another person comes in and they look like they're still wearing what they slept in last night. And they may be. They may not have a place to live. And they may not have had a place to shower. And you look at them and you think, um, okay, uh, how about if you stand in the back? How about if you sit over there, kind of out of sight and out of smell? You treat that person differently because, after all, what are they going to be able to do for you? If they start coming to the church, they're just going to want to be helped. This other person, man, if they were to get involved, we could build an education wing. Now, I'm sure none of you are concerned about where to seat people in church. But you may, like I was when I was your age, be concerned about who you're associated with. Are you going to be seen as really uncool if you act like you're friends with that person? 
There have been, oh, I don't know, thousands of movies aimed at teenagers in which somebody starts to have an opportunity to be a part of the in crowd, and all of a sudden they ditch their old friends. And by the end of the movie, they realize that these people are jerks, and now I've been a jerk, and I need to go back and apologize to my old friends and hope they take me back. That is the plot of 10,000 movies, okay? And the reason is because that has been the life of millions of young people, okay? Starting in elementary school. Really coming to a crescendo in middle school and high school. And it turns out If you decide who you're going to associate with based on whether or not that's going to bring you down socially or lift you up socially, you're doing exactly what this is talking about. You're showing favoritism based on what this person can do for me. Now, if you've been guilty of that, you're not the only one. But you need to repent and not do that anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not okay. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not okay, but you're going to hell and that's a bigger problem. Okay? I was a follower of Jesus Christ who was very zealous about my faith. I really loved Jesus. I shared the gospel with people. God was actually blessing my ministry as a teenager, and I got invited to go to California, and the guy who asked me if I would help him drive his family out there was starting seminary. He was a military vet. He had some damage from the war that caused him to have an odd voice. And, um, you know, he was a nice guy. He was intelligent enough, but he, he wasn't my age, He was married with kids. I'm a teenager, very single. And, uh, you know, I thought I was pretty sharp. (laughs) Um, But uh, this guy wasn't, okay? He just didn't fit into my social scene. But I was happy to help drive him and his family out to California because I wanted to go to California and I had enough for a plane ticket back, okay? My sister and her husband invited me to come out and stay with them and see what God was doing, which was absolutely amazing in what was called the Jesus People Movement. Okay? Absolutely amazing. There's a new movie out about it. And, uh, oh, I mean, it was, it was an amazing time, what God was doing in that era. So I'm going out there to see more of what God is up to And this guy, after we get there, because I'm at this point the only person beside his family that he knows, he kind of wants to hang out and explore Southern California with me. And I think that's a dreadful idea. Because, you know, if I'm going places with him and hanging out with him, not only is that not a lot of fun for me, but people might think we're, you know, like really friends, and, and I mean, it's not that we weren't friends, you know, I mean, we're brothers in Christ, and that's, that's great, man, see you in heaven, all right? But, but as far as social contacts, he definitely, 
He was not in my self-perceived echelon of coolness. Okay? I don't even know if coolness exists anymore. I think people are now bad or something. I guess that was 10 years ago. I don't, I don't know what people are now. I don't, I don't know what you aspire to when you're having worldly thoughts. But, but anyway, I finally, after trying to, you know, I spent some time with him, but it was, you know, he also wanted me to babysit his kid. <sighs> Talk about uncool, right? you know. So what are you going to do today? I'm going over to babysit for a friend. Really? Okay, well, you enjoy that. Um, I just, I, I began to pray and I said, Lord, would you please get this guy to leave me alone? And God was like, what's the problem? And I said, I don't want to be identified with him. And God said, I've been willing to be identified with you. I started to cry. The king of glory came and took my place, took my punishment, and now is willing to call me friend, brother. Talk about feeling like a jerk. The reason I felt like a jerk was because I was a jerk. It wasn't an inaccurate diagnosis. I was being an idiot. Because the distance between me and that fellow socially was like this. The distance between me and an infinite God was a chasm that I could never cross. So he did with the cross. And I said, okay, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. I'll just tell you something. It's not just about where people sit in church. It's where they sit in the dining hall. It's who gets invited to Go down to the shelter. It's, who are you nice to? I met a guy in India. Jenai. He said, I would like for you, I just preached in a church there, and he said, I would like for you to come and pray a prayer at the athletic field at my school. He said, I own a private school here in Chennai, and I have an idea of what I want to do with our athletic field, and I want you to come and pray over the facility and, and pray over my daughter, who's going to be the new head of school, I'm turning the school over to her, because I'm getting old. I said, oh, I'd, I'd be happy to. So I went. And as we stood on that huge field, surrounded by very nice buildings, he said, all, all of these buildings are part of my school. And this property right here is our athletic field, and I want God to help us use it to reach this community for Christ. And I think the way to do it is we're going to open it up. It's already being used by our students. 
it was, by the way, much larger than like a soccer field or a football field. It was large enough to have that and other things. It was a huge property. He said, we're going to open it up to the children of the community because even if they cannot afford to go to school, they ought to have a place to play. And I think that if we invite them to come and play on this field, we'll have an opportunity to build relationships with them and then share the gospel with them and with their families. I said, well, that's, that's tremendous. And he said, many people have thought that I was a fool to open it up to the poor because my school is considered an elite school. But he said, but this, this has very special meaning for me. He said, many years ago, I was a Hindu, and my wife was a Hindu, but my wife read in the newspaper about a man who had been a Muslim, but he became a Christian, and he was going to come and speak to people on this field, and she wanted to go hear him, and she asked me to come also. And so we went to hear this man speak about Jesus. Neither of us were believers. And we didn't know really what to think. But when we got here, there was an enormous crowd. There had been a lot of publicity. And he said, and this field was covered with chairs where people were seated, but we were very poor. And the organizers of the meeting said, we will show you where you can sit. And they led us to a part of the field that was roped off and being used as a latrine. They didn't have plumbing. They didn't have even an outhouse. It was just people would go over and relieve themselves on that little roped off area. And they brought us there and they said, you can sit here. And he said, so we did. And we heard the gospel. And we gave our lives to Christ. And God has blessed us. And now, all these buildings are mine. And I want to use this field where I met Jesus, so that others might meet him. I was blown away. I still am. That God would use a horrible introduction like that to still draw a man to himself and his wife sitting in the latrine because that's where they were told they could be. And yet the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And that man, because he came to know Jesus, wanted others to know Jesus and not just those who could pay to go to his school but also those in the community who could not afford it. Don't 
show favoritism. And the way in which most of us are tempted to show favoritism is giving preferential treatment to those who have money. If you have money, you can get better deals on things. Your groceries cost less. You can buy in bulk and get a discount. There are many companies that will offer you lower interest rates because they want your business. There are all kinds of ways in our society when it comes to real estate, autos, you name it. Favoritism is shown toward the wealthy. At the same time, in the Old Testament law, God specifically warns against showing unjust favoritism toward the poor. Did you know that? God says you are not to give preferential treatment to the poor when you're deciding who's innocent and who's guilty in a case. You're to go on the basis of truth and justice. You're not to say, well, you know, this guy can afford it. We're going to stick it to him. Our court system is skewed in favor of those with money because they can afford to get the best attorneys who know all the loopholes. So if you are poor and you commit this crime, you're more likely to do time than if you are rich and you commit this crime. At the same time, our jury system often ends up with hideous verdicts given because the jury sympathizes with somebody who's poor and figures, uh, we'll stick it to the corporation. They can afford it. Holiday Inn at a pool with an eight-foot fence, I think it was, around the pool in signage saying, Closed at 10 p.m. And a lock on the gate. But about one or two in the morning, a woman came back from a bar and decided she wanted to go for a swim. So she climbed the fence, and when she fell off the other side, she broke her neck. And she ended up as a quadriplegic. And somebody said, you ought to sue Holiday Inn. And she did. Well, was there any question that she was trespassing? Nope. Was there any question that there was a high fence? No, that's how she broke her neck. Was there any question that there was signage that was lit all night long, saying it was closed and a lock on the gate? Nope, no question about that. But... She's quadriplegic. She's going to have all kinds of expenses. She looks pathetic sitting in court like this. Holiday Inn, on the other hand, is a big corporation. They've got millions and millions and millions of dollars. We're going to find 
for the plaintiff. Is that justice? No, that's favoritism. Do not show favoritism. Don't scorn people because they have money. Now, if you favor people because they have money, shame on you. But if you think everybody with money is bad news because they have money, you're showing favoritism. So what do you do? Well, there are many examples in Scripture. But one of my favorites, and I'm not going to do it in detail. You don't even have to turn there. I'm just going to allude to it. Mark chapter 5. Jesus is approached by a wealthy, powerful man whose daughter is dying. Please come heal my daughter. I know you can do it. This is a great opportunity for the ministry. You know, if we get Jesus to go to this man's house and the daughter gets healed, he's going to be a major supporter of Jesus' campaign. This is going to be wonderful. So Jesus agrees to go, and he's on his way, and he's approached from behind by a very poor woman who no longer has any money. She spent all she had on physicians, and she never got any better. And she comes up, she touches the edge of Jesus' robe, and she's healed. And Jesus feels what has happened, okay? She didn't touch him, she just touched his garment. But he felt power go forth from him. And he always did what the Father told him to do. And he always said what the Father told him to say, and so he stopped, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, you've got to be kidding, everybody's you know, crowding up against you, trying to go with you to where you're going to heal this person. And Jesus continued to stand there and say, who touched me? And that woman knew he was talking about her. And finally, she came forward and she told him everything. A very embarrassing story. And Jesus healed her more deeply than she had come in hopes of. He said to her what he says to no one else in the New Testament. He calls her daughter. She didn't just need physical healing. She needed to be part of the family. Jesus didn't just come so that we could get well for a while and then die. Jesus came so that we could become his forever. And he said to the rich man whose daughter was sick, listen, forget it. This is, this is really who I came for. I came for the poor. No. He went on to the rich man's house and raised that man's daughter to life because he came for the rich and the poor and the young and the old. He came for all of us, all kinds of people. And that's how we need to treat people. Whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're black or they're white, whether they are foreign or domestic, whatever they are, 
we need to treat them as those for whom God has displayed his love. Do not show favoritism. Do not show favoritism. God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking the law. How many of you have broken one of the Ten Commandments? How many of you have broken just one of the Ten Commandments? I've broken more than one. But if I'd only broken one, I'd still be a lawbreaker. If I obey the speed limit and ignore the stoplight, how am I doing? The cops are going to say, well, you know, yeah, you did just roll right through that red light, but I noticed you weren't going too fast. Is that what they're going to say? Suppose I go 90 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone and then screech, leaving black lines coming up to the stoplight. Are they going to say, oh, good stop, man? No. And yet somehow you and I think as long as we only disobey certain commands, God ought to be good with that. You know, because look at these other things I'm doing right. Lord, I do this, I do this, I do this. You know, I know I'm, I, I need some improvement in this area, and hopefully we'll get to that eventually, but no. Well, what's the consequence? Well, first of all, we need to repent and stop excusing sin in our lives. But the other thing is, we need to stop looking down our noses at somebody else who's breaking a different commandment than the one we're inclined to break. That's what it says here. We look at somebody else and we, we give them no mercy. You know, How dare they? I can't believe someone would do something like that. They are violating God's law. That is damnable. Well, you're right, it is, but the problem is, so are you. The only reason any of us doesn't go to hell is because of God's grace. And if God has been gracious to us, we need to be gracious to others. Does that mean we excuse their sin? No. And we also are not to excuse our sin, but we are to show mercy toward all just as God has shown mercy toward us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if you condemn others because they've messed up, then God says, I'm not feeling terribly merciful towards you at the moment. Speak and act as those 
who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Freedom to sin? No. Freedom from death. Freedom to do what is right. As we said last time, staying on the track is not bondage, it's freedom. When the train's on the track, it can keep going and going and going. It's when it gets off the track that it is no longer free to travel to its destination. The law gives freedom, the law of love. I don't have to worry about keeping a bunch of rules. I need to focus on doing what God says. I tell parents when it comes to disciplining your little children, don't spank them because they did this or did this or did this. The only time a little child should be spanked is when, and I know I'm going to lose some people because I said spank. Bye. Um, But here's the thing. The only time a little child should be spanked is for direct disobedience. When the child is contesting your authority. And at that point, you don't spank them because they did this or they did this. You tell the child, I'm spanking you because you refuse to obey. Because the issue is obedience. And once that issue is resolved, then you don't have to have 100 rules. Here at the ranch, read the student handbook. Staff and students, read it. We don't have 100 rules. We have some rules. But we do two things. Number one, we tell you these rules are in order to help us have a more harmonious life on campus. These are not all God's rules, and you don't have to accept this as if this is the word of God. The reason we say take your shoes off when you go in the house is in order to protect the carpets, make it easier to keep the house clean. The reason we say you don't eat and drink beverages in the vans is because we want the vans to smell nice. I don't like getting into a vehicle and having my foot stick to the carpet. Okay? Well, I think some people could do it without... Just don't go there. This is not a crisis. Well, I don't know that we can go two hours without... What what is the problem, really? Okay? Well, I, I think I may be hypoglycemic. Okay? Stop the van every two hours, get out, and go and then get back in and go on. Is that something God says? No, that's something we say. But let me tell you something. The key to what we want our students to know in relationship to staff is O-B-E-Y. Obey. Obey. The house parents and mentors don't need to make up new rules. All they've got to do is tell you, I don't want you to do that right now. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Is there a caveat, Pastor Wood? Are you saying whatever they tell us, if they say jump off the roof 
we're supposed to do what they say? Obey? No, I'm not saying that. Of course not. No one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. Nobody. If somebody tells you to do something that's wrong, they want you to lie for them, steal for them, do something inappropriate sexually, whatever it is they're trying to get you to do. If somebody tries to get you to do something that God says is wrong, you don't do it. Period. Exclamation point. But if it's just you didn't want to do it, because I'd rather do something else, they said I had to remake my bed. That's stupid. I'm just going to I'm just going to mess it up again tonight. Why should I have to remake the bed? This is crazy. Okay? I mean, I think it looks fine. It's my room. It's my bed. You know what you need to do? O-B-E-Y. Obey. Go make the bed. Somebody's thinking, they told him about me. (laughs) No, I could have preached this 10 times over the last 10 years. It's human nature. But if you want to change the world, make your bed. Okay? It's amazing how much better life is when you learn to live under authority, do as you're told. Again, not blindly submitting yourself to evil, but disciplining yourself to do what you're told. It's really good exercise. Imagine if a football team said to their coach, eh, I just don't feel like it today. Okay, you're off the team. Imagine in the military. If the war is on and the soldiers are saying, Who? I might get shot. No, I'm not going out there. It's not going to work, is it? Imagine if you were a musician. And you sit down at the keyboard and you say, I think I'm just going to use the white keys today. Really? That is going to drastically limit your performance. You've got to do what's on the sheet of music. Well, no, I'm more innovative. Okay, well, fine. Be sure and plug in the headset and put it on because the rest of us don't want to hear your creativity. You were supposed to play Amazing Grace, not Mary Had a Little Lamb. God says that you and I need to be merciful toward others, because all of us mess up sometimes. That doesn't mean we just keep on messing up and don't try to change. It means that we come to the Lord, instead of saying, smite that person, we say, have mercy on me. And as Jesus said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we take that approach, I guarantee you, the world's going to be a much better place. And the body of Christ will look more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to save. We pray that you would deliver us from evil, that you would change us 
from the inside out that we might walk in holiness before you. And we will be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, do we have any-